The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. For more information and to request a free sample copy full of news, reviews and features, visit premierchristianity.com. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Mike Pilavacci. Mike is the founder of Soul Survivor, an author and international speaker. Mike, welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Now, it makes sense to obviously start by mentioning Soul Survivor. It's best known for the summer festivals, and you've just finished, I think, 25 days of, yes. uh, of these events, so you must be tired. Um, how do you explain the event to someone who's never been? Uh, well, the Soul Survivor festivals are, are, are for, for young people. They're for teenagers. And we, uh, we, what, what we like to say is we try not to take ourselves too seriously, but we take God very seriously. And so we have two main meetings a day uh, at which we might have anything from five to 9,000 kids yeah. um, together yeah. where we have worship, teaching, um, ministry. We, we pray for people. Uh, we, we make space for the Holy Spirit to move. But then we have all sorts of things going on throughout the day, from uh, sports activities to various cafes, uh, uh, an outdoor cinema. Uh, like one time we had a giant hog roast uh, for, for six, 7,000 people. Uh, then we'll, we'll, have, we'll have loads and loads of things, as well as many seminars. Yeah. Um, and it's a place where we hope, and, and it happens yeah. that Christian young people feel free to bring their non-Christian friends and it's not cringy. Yes. So just this last summer, we just finished just over a week ago yesterday, yeah. and we saw 1,526 young people give their lives to Jesus for yeah. the first time. And that's the best thing. Yeah. That's the most wonderful thing. And, and especially when they come and tell you their stories mm. afterwards. And, and when you see the kids come forward to give their lives to Jesus, yeah. and then when they go back, having prayed a prayer of... of inviting Jesus into their lives and they go back to their youth groups and their youth groups just greet them mm. with just such joy they give them standing ovations they they're crying they're hugging them they're, they're, it's the most wonderful thing to see I have the best view in the house <laughs> you do indeed um, and you mentioned there that it's an event that people want to bring their non-christian friends to and perhaps that's part of the secret here because as you say you literally thousands of people have become Christians but you've managed to create a place that you know, you, you want to bring your non-Christian friend to. That's quite unusual, isn't it, for, for church in general? Yeah, well, uh, yes, we've tried. We've tried to make that, make it a place where, where if and we say on the first night, yeah. if you're not a Christian, yeah. you don't need, you, you, you get involved to the degree that you want to, come on a journey with us, no one's going to make you do anything you don't have to do, and we have a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot of laughter um, and and we try and build community even with thousands of kids and and that sense of we're one big family yeah. and it's safe and we try and be real mm. as much as we really try and be real and honest and have integrity and I think the kids who aren't Christians they know that they can yeah. smell that yeah. and they start to feel safe in that environment. Sure. 
And um, you mentioned 1,500, over 1,500 people just this summer. And of course, you multiply that over the 20 plus years the event's been going. And you know, this event has had a significant impact on the church. I, mean, I don't think it's too early to start to talk about a legacy here in terms of what has been the impact on the UK church because of the event you've been putting on. Uh, do you ever stop to consider that, you know, people who became Christians maybe years ago, what are they doing now? You know, they became a Christian at Soul Survivor, what have they gone on to do? Yeah, the great joy of getting to my advanced years. <laughs> I'm actually 58 years old now. Really? And I've been doing it for 20, this has been my 24th year. Yeah. The great joy now is, is like the joy of a grandparent has, right. um, is I get to meet uh, people all the time throughout the year who say to me, I'm a youth worker, I'm a pastor, I'm a minister, mm. and I became a Christian in 1997 on night two. <laughs> That's Soul Survivor. Yeah. And even this year, um, a couple came up to me and they said, we became Christians here uh, 11 years ago, and now we're youth workers, and we have brought our youth group, <laughs> and our youth group are becoming Christians. And we're even having the first ones where the parents came as young people and now their kids come yeah. and their kids come and say my my mum and dad became christians here. i mean it's amazing it's that that's just beginning yeah it's the most wonderful thing that's wonderful so how did all this begin let's go um let's go right back to the beginning because you weren't always a youth leader you weren't always a christian um and i think the turning point came when you were a teenager yourself um so what happened when you became a christian yeah my teenage years my childhood wasn't very happy um my parents were, were Greek immigrants to this country and uh, lots of things. They, they didn't teach me English before I went to school, so I always felt different. Lots, lots of things like that. There's no time to go into. And um, my parents were atheists, so I assumed I was an atheist as well. Mm -hmm. And then when I was at school, um, there was these other uh, kids in, the, in, in my school who they were normal, they were fun, but there was something different about them. Mm. And I was yearning for something. I was longing for something. And they blew their cover one time and told me that they were followers of Jesus. And I'd always thought Christianity as a religion. Mm. And I started to understand it's a relationship. And the gospel made sense because no one needed to convince me I was a sinner. <laughs> and and just to 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 hear the gospel... And then two months before my 16th birthday, on January the 15th, um, I went up on a hill uh, um, near my house and I knelt down in the wet grass and I prayed a prayer at the back of a little booklet by John Stock called Becoming a Christian. And I got up and I didn't feel any different, but I knew everything had changed. And that's when it started from there. Mm. And then um, it was not until I was 29 that I became a full-time youth leader. Right. Uh, at St Andrew's Chorley Wood and I'm in the youth group was this kid called Matt Redman who was 13 mm -hmm. and we kind of I just knew there was something just the way he worshipped yeah. Jesus yeah. and we started meeting together uh, the two of us on a on a Saturday night in the church to 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 worship and pray together it was crazy and that's where Soul Survivor started and then others started joining us and then I started getting invited to speak at other youth groups and then we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to do something for young people that was kind of a cross between Greenbelt, which I loved and still do, 
and spring harvest, which I loved and still do, but for young people that was open to the ministry of the Spirit, that where what we try and say is we don't want to be weird. God's allowed to be as weird as he likes, mm-hmm. but we want to pastor people. And then I went to my vicar um, and I said, look, I've got this dream. It won't go away. And he looked at me and he said, well, it sounds ridiculous to me. And then he paused and he said, but it sounds like it might be God. You can have a go. And in 1993, we had our first salt survivor camp and 1,896 young people turned up. I counted them all myself. And to this day, I don't know where they came. We didn't know from, we didn't know what we were doing, but the Lord was there and the Lord was so kind. And every year since, we're not, we're not professionals. We're really not, you know, we we, so often we feel out of our depth, but what I've discovered is if you make space for God and you're willing to say, if I'll, I want to obey you, Lord, whatever you say, he, he does it. Mm-hmm. He intervenes, he does it. And every year it seems to us like it's a miracle. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this later, but I guess a large part of your ministry and, and Soul Survivor has been um, a focus on, on the ministry of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a sort of, I guess, second experience after conversion of, of the Spirit, um, I think in someone's house. Can you tell us the story of, of what happened there? Oh my word, yeah. Um, and and again, my colleague Andy Croft would tell you, my friend, his 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 story is very different to mine, which says that it, it doesn't. My story doesn't have to be everyone's story. Sure, sure. Um, I became a Christian, and then six months later, I started hearing about how you could be filled with the Holy mm. Spirit, and I was just so longing for more of God um, that I kept asking. Um, um, him to yeah, to film me and in the end uh, I asked this couple um, who were led this home group I went to and uh, would they pray for me to be filled with the spirit and so we met in their home and uh, uh, we they sat on the settee and I sat on a on a chair and we started praying and they didn't really I discovered afterwards they didn't know what they were doing either so we prayed for about I don't know an hour and a half in silence and then I remember it was 20 to 11 at night I looked at my watch suddenly it was like God's presence came all over me his love and I just started to laugh and that was before I'd ever heard that sometimes people might laugh when they're filled with the spirit I don't know and I looked at them and I said you can stop praying now he's come he's here He's met with me. And what it was, was I was just filled with the love of God. It was like liquid love pouring over me and the knowledge of his love. And I remember going home and for for weeks and months, sitting on my bed and saying, God, you're my father, you're my father. I love you. Jesus, you're my savior, you're my friend. I don't believe it, I, I, I can't stand it, but you are, you're my father. I love you, father, I love you, father. And it was like, I just wanted to burst. And, and it was like, he, he, was, he's, he was imminent. Mm-hmm. He was in the room with me. And, and then I, I heard about the gift of tongues. And I, I mean, I was running out of words to say. I mean, there's only so many times you can say, you're my father, you're my father, I love you, my father, I love you, my father. And that was another story right. when they prayed for me again yeah. uh, for the gift of tongues. And, you know, again, I didn't realize, and this is a principle with 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 the Christian life, I think, it's it's actually, and certainly with the gifts of the Spirit, is you have to step out. I thought God would take over my mouth. Mm. 
And it didn't happen like that. You know, they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So when I began, it was shalabala, bila, bala, bula, bala. And, uh, and then I thought, this is gobbledygook. And then as I was walking home, I, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, if it's gobbledygook, may it be gobbledygook for you. Everyone else may have the gift of tongues. I may have the gift of gobbledygook. But I just want to worship you from my spirit to your spirit, your spirit in me, to worship in me and through me and with me to you, Father. And I, I just shalabala, bila, bala, bula, bala, all the way home. Mm-hmm. And literally, there came a point where, again, I was overwhelmed by his presence. Now, that doesn't always happen, mm-hmm. but it did for me. And and I've been praying in tongues just about every day for the last 43 years. And it's not the most, you don't have to pray in tongues. It's not the most important thing. But why wouldn't you want to? Mm-hmm. And it's not, about, it's not that it's tongues. It's that it's prayer. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the point. It's that it's prayer by every way to pray. Yeah. Well, it's amazing these sort of early experiences you were having of, of God in some profound ways. I wonder what, looking back, what were the sort of um, practical big changes on your life, the way you were living your life as a teenager? How did things change once you'd uh, both made that commitment to God and also started to experience, I guess, some of the supernatural speaking in tongues? What were, what were the differences it made? Uh, well, there were positive and, and not negative differences. My parents were furious and very upset when I became a Christian really? and they banned me from going to church wow. or any Christian meetings. Wow. And up until that point, I'd been totally shy and they mm. were worried that I never went to parties, that I never went to anything. So I started lying to them and I started telling them I was going to the pub and to parties when I was going to <laughs> prayer meetings and Bible studies. <laughs> it feels the other bit, way around. Yeah, it feels a bit backwards. <laughs> yeah, it was very backwards. And, and they were delighted. I remember my dad saying, my son, you see, you're a man now. You do, did you get drunk? And, and I used to tell him, oh, yes, I had a lot to drink, Dad. Oh, yes, you're, that's my boy. That's my son. And then the leaders of my home group, they sat me down one day and they said, Mike, we need to say to you, we feel uncomfortable that it's not honoring to God to lie to your parents. And I said, but if I tell them the truth, they won't let me come. And they said, do you think you should trust the Lord in that? And they said, can we, let's pray about it. And we prayed about it. And I knew what I needed to do. So I went home and uh, I told them, I remember I told them, and my mum was upstairs crying. My dad was downstairs shouting. And I just panicked and ran out the house. And I ran to my home group leaders. They prayed for me, sent me back. And my dad refused to speak to me for a couple of months. Wow. And because he, refused, he he was too proud to speak to me, so he, could, he, 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 he wouldn't tell me that I couldn't go to the meetings. So I plucked, I remember I had to pluck up courage every time when it was time to go to church to get up and to walk out. And if they'd have said, no, I wouldn't have gone. Mm. But they, they didn't. Right. And I kept going. So that was traumatic, but it meant that, in a sense, I had to make a real stand. I had, this wasn't an add-on. This wasn't an optional extra for me. My faith in Jesus is my life. And obviously that affects everything. You know, uh, I wanted to tell everyone about Jesus. I remember I used to save my pocket money and I used to go to the Christian bookshop and buy all these Christian books and put them in the library. Uh, of the school and and they were the most inappropriate books possible to put in a I remember there was one book I bought called look out the Pentecostals are coming (laughs) 
I mean, what I was thinking, I made so many mistakes. I bought all these Jesus stickers yeah. that were in vogue at the time, like one based on the Coca-Cola advert, okay. Jesus Christ, he's the real yeah, thing. Yeah. And I used to run up to people's front doors and stick them on the front doors and run away, you know, thinking that I was evangelizing when actually I was defacing people's homes. I mean, all, all sorts of things, but I was enthusiastic yeah. and I was passionate, yeah. even though I didn't have much knowledge. Sure. And... Is yeah, it, that was it. D- difficult experience though with your with your parents. Did that did that change? Did did things Im- improve with the? No, they came to accept it. They 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 never became Christians. They came to accept it. My great joy is my brother became a Christian uh, just over a year after me. Uh, we started a Christian union at a school, my friends and I, and he came along, and he gave, and he's he's now a Baptist minister, and. Uh, and what I love is my nephew and two nieces, uh, the, all their friends seem to have been to Soul Survivor. <laughs> and, uh, but it, it was hard. My parents came to accept it. Yeah. Uh, but when, when you come from the background they come from, I mean, it, it, it's, it's quite tough. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, I guess things have, have been tough along the way with with ministry something like soul survivor i mean you don't go on to set something up as large as that and not have any troubles along the way mm. and there must have been personal struggles for you as well um how have how how have those affected your ministry and what kind of lessons have you learned along the way oh well the the, the pain is part of the package uh, really and and i mean i because i i grew up um with a lot of pain uh, it doesn't all get healed immediately. Mm. And I've had to walk the journey over years with Jesus of, you know, some of my reactions uh, that weren't good, repenting of them, trying to understand why I reacted in certain ways in certain situations. I'll get very claustrophobic mm. um, physically and emotionally. Um, and because my, my dad was very, very um, dominating and he could be quite violent... Um, you you just didn't you you didn't have a you you hid from confrontation with him because you would always lose. So for years, when they when when I had confrontation situations, I would withdraw from the relationships and I would hide because that's the only thing I knew. And it took some friends of mine to point that out to me and say, "Do you realise that's what you do?" And then with Jesus looking into the pain of why I did that and learning a whole new way of living with other people in relationships that is more whole, that is more more like Jesus, really. Yeah. And those things are a journey. And I would have my lows and my lonelinesses. Um, but now I'm at the place where I can honestly say, you know, I work with my closest friends and I love it. I love it. We the the best thing about what I do. Well, obviously the best thing is 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 doing it with Jesus and for Jesus, and serving Jesus. But also I get to do this with a whole bunch of friends that we've been friends for years and years. I love them. They love me. We're honest. We're open. I mean, just yesterday afternoon, my friends Andy and Beth Croft. They've got a little baby called Josiah who's 19 months, we took him to a model railway exhibition. He loved it, and I loved it. I I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else. Um, um, The only problem I need to say to you is there is an issue uh, between Andy and Beth and I, which is very difficult. And if you and your listeners could pray about this, 
Um, and I'm just being honest with you, it's obvious that little Josiah loves me more than he loves them. And I keep saying to them, I keep saying to them, what can I do? The boy loves me, what can I do? Have another one and see if you can do better. Um, that's said tongue in cheek, um, but I love it. And, and you know, I do it, they're, they're, they and others are my extended family. Yeah. And that's what it's meant to be. Mm. That's how it's meant to be. Love the Lord your God with mm. all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself yeah. and the new commandment, Love one another as I have loved you. And that, that kind of um, community focus that, of course, the church is supposed to be, I think there's such a craving for that amongst, well, many of the young people who would go to Soul Survivor, but just generally in culture. You know, we're all very connected with technology, but do we really know each other, have that community mm. feel? And, you know, it's been sad to see a, a lot of Christians in their teens and 20s and 30s have said that they're not getting that in church. A lot of people who say, you know, I have a real faith in Jesus, but... I want something that's more community-based. Absolutely, and that is one of our huge challenges. And in the local church, something like Soul Survivor over five days, it's limited what can happen there. It's a mountaintop experience, but life's lived in the valleys. Mm -hmm. That's where things grow, in the valleys, not on tops of mountains. And, and we have to model a new way where it's genuine relationships, genuine friendships, and community with commitment, because what we have is virtual community, it's temporary community, it's it's the sort of community, I, I mean, I saw on my newsfeed uh, a, a year and a half ago, someone put, um, uh, I've decided I have too many Facebook friends, so it's just to let you know, I'm going to, over the next couple of weeks, delete um, 75 of my friends, please don't be offended if you're one who's of those deleted. And I thought, wow, we live in a society that you can delete friends by the press of a button. Yeah. And that's frightening. Yeah. And that leads to insecurity. And what we try and do on the big scale with the festivals is just be who we are. Mm. They can see, the kids can see that those of us that are on the stage together, we're friends, we love each other. That's why we can be relaxed and have fun. And that creates community. Mm. And also, uh, it's, it's, a, it's Christian community should be one of total acceptance. Mm. Not total acceptance of every behavior, but of every human being all the time even when we don't behave well, Absolutely. you know, and that's the key. And that's what sometimes in the church, we, we, we're not very good mm. at explicitly showing. Mm, sure. I mean, that reminds me of, of another sort of criticism, I guess, of, well, evangelical church culture is that we've become uh, in some parts of the church perhaps very obsessed with marriage I mean I speak to a lot of younger couples who say well you know in church circles it's just expected that we'll get married sort of next week or next month or whatever um, and I imagine you know you spoke on this before because you yourself you're celibate do you have you encountered that I guess you must have with people just sort of assuming that as a Christian the logical next step is that you will get married and have lots of kids oh yeah I mean now they're starting to give up now I'm 58 but the number of times the number of times I would meet someone and they would say um so so how, how's your wife and kids oh, oh I'm single you're single oh dear oh no I We'll, we'll pray. And I, I can't tell you the number of well-meaning Christians yeah. who have given me prophecies 
that my wife is about to appear. I mean, and it's like you smile and you thank them and you think, oh, please, oh, please. And I believe in marriage. Yes. I believe in the family. Yeah. But actually, there is also a gift of celibacy for most people until marriage. But for a few, yeah. it says in, in Corinthians and other places, it might be for life. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, you know, the, the guy we follow wasn't married, yeah. you know, and it's actually possible it's actually possible to live a fulfilled, satisfied, happy life without shagging anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks for setting the record straight on that one for sure. Um, that actually brings us to the end of part one, but join us again in part two to hear more from Mike Pilavacci about his life and about Soul Survivor. We'll be right back after this. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Mike Pilavacci. Mike is the founder of Soul Survivor and author and international speaker. And Mike, I guess when um, people hear you described in such grand terms as international speaker, they might think it's this kind of glamorous life that you lead, uh, traveling all over the world and speaking. Is it, uh, is it as glamorous as that? It really isn't. It really isn't. It's spending lots of time in airports. And <laughs> I've been to some very strange places. Really? And uh, I've slept in some very strange rooms. Uh, and uh, um, and what's, what's an international speaker? It means you've been to, you know... To Jersey or or France, you know, it's, uh, but what I do love, I I love, having said that, I love seeing the church around the world in its different expressions Mm -hmm. and how, you know, there's some amazing Christians doing amazing things that will never, will never get to be interviewed Mm -hmm. uh, in for any magazine or any radio program or anything like that. And they're serving quietly for Jesus yeah. in different places, and sure. it's wonderful. It's great. Now you've, I guess, been a, I guess you've been a youth leader for all of your adult life, really, since the days of Noah. <laughs> um, and um, you know, not to, not to, I'm going to put this the right way, or I sound rude, but um, I guess a common excuse for some people in church is I can't get involved with the youth. I'm, I'm too old. Um, so Presum- what are you trying to say here? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You're so, trying to say I'm old? <laughs> not at all. Just that you're older than some uh, youth leaders. So, um, you know, presumably that's not a good enough excuse that, you know, you're too old for youth ministry. Such a category doesn't exist. Yeah, I think the only qualification you need to do youth work is to love young people. Mm. I, I, I was never hip and trendy <laughs> when I was, even when I was 20. Right. I, I, I never was. I was always the wrong shape for a start. <laughs> and I, I just never was. Yeah. And... Um, and and I think I think there's too many folk who are older, who who think that teenagers are a different species, mm. and they're just like us, just smaller. Right. You know, they have the same questions, the same issues, and they respond. They respond to love, and attention, and listening, mm. and commitment to them, and serving them. Of course they respond because that's what they're longing for. Sure. And I think there's a lot more folk that could be get involved with youth work than think that they could. Sure. But I, I guess in church there is a lot of talk, rightly, about engaging with culture. And is, is the fear that, well, I don't listen to the music that the kids listen to, I don't watch those films, I've got no starting reference point with them. Do you think that's the fear that's, that holds people back, just not knowing how to engage? Yeah, it, it can be. And I hate their music. <laughs> I hate their music. I don't watch their films. I don't. I don't even understand what they're saying half the time. Uh, you know, just as soon as I, I discovered that, um, oh, I've forgotten the word now. There was a word that uh, you see. You see how old I am. Uh, 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 um, 
I can't remember the word now, but as soon as you think you've discovered a meaning of one of the words that they right. use, yeah. uh, it changes. Right. So I've got myself <laughs> into trouble loads of times. And I don't mind telling them that. Yeah. I told them this summer, yeah. I don't like your music. I'm waiting for the Simon and Garfunkel revival. <laughs> you know, I'm sure heavenly worship will be like that. But if you love them... Now, of course it's great to understand the culture. Yeah. Of course it is. And I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek. Sure. I mean, I've had to listen to some of the music because I've had to sing it on the last night of the festivals as a joke. Um, but, but you know, when you, when you, the best way to get into their culture mm. and to understand their culture is to talk to them mm. and listen to them. You don't do it from studying a book. Right, sure. So, and it's like you, you, you get to understand how folk think mm. in different cultures. It's just like traveling. Yeah. It's just like... You know, going to Malaysia um, is the same as going to a youth group if you're 58. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you do cross-cultural yeah. mission. mission. Yeah, that's great. Um, now, our, our, my colleagues over at uh, Premier Youth Work magazine, they've just celebrated 25 years of, of a magazine and they've looked back on, I guess, youth ministry and youth culture over the past 25 years. And it occurred to me that perhaps you'd be able to do something similar in looking back at how youth ministry has changed um, over over the past decades, I guess. I mean, there must have been some fads that have come and gone, but presumably there have been some genuine lessons that have been learned at that time as well. Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm not sure... That, that that true youth ministry needs to change that much. Right. It's about people. Mm. It's about getting involved with their lives. You know, I used to... my Matt Redman, I, I, I gave him driving lessons when I was his youth leader. We put the L plates on and we did that. I did that with a whole load of them. Mm. Um, you know, and you know that the conversations you have about God at the end of a driving lesson when you've had a near-death experience <laughs> is amazing. And, and so, you know, you, it's, it's just getting involved. Yeah. It's just getting involved. And I, do, I don't think that that needs to change. I think we, we went through a phase where it was all about youth church mm. and where we're actually in the culture. It was a, a rebellion against... Um, older folk and and it was like right we're going to have churches just for young people mm. and all of that well that's really changed because what we're discovering what I'm discovering with teenagers and those in their early 20s is they actually want some grey hairs to be around them yeah. they want to talk they want to be listened to they want advice mm. they, they don't have that same if you like chip on their shoulder yeah. and I think that's really healthy yeah um, so there have been changes in the culture that have been reflected in youth work. Yeah. And that's why I think now it's important that we do church as family, as whole family. And you won't lose young people if it's genuine family. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to touch on a couple of ways that I think Soul Survivor has, has had an impact really beyond the, the festivals and beyond the ministry. I mean... A couple of these changes, I think, coincide with perhaps stuff that God's been doing across the church. One of the major ones that comes to mind is social action, social justice. Um, and it, I guess it wasn't that long ago in the church that a lot of Christians would say, well, we just got to get people to pray a prayer. And that's kind of mission in a nutshell. And there seems to have been a movement away from that to say, to talk about mission as something much more holistic than that. Um, you know, God's heart for the poor. And this is something that, that you've done through various outreaches with Soul Survivor. Um, would you say that's a fair assessment that the church has changed in that way and that we, I guess, have more of a heart for the poor than we did a couple of decades ago? 
yeah and it's and and that and that had to happen because it's biblical because what you see in the early church is you know when when the holy spirit came the first thing they did is they worshipped the second thing they did is they witnessed the third thing they did is they sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had need and they met together uh, in, and broke bread every day in their homes and when worshipped with glad and sincere hearts, they became community. It's all there. Mm. It's all there. I think the one thing we have to be careful, though, is that we don't... I believe in preaching the gospel. I believe in proclaiming Christ yeah. and him crucified. Um, and the, 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 the place for... for caring for those who are less fortunate than ourselves, getting involved in society, it's not so much part of our evangelism. I think it's meant to be part of our worship. Mm. We do that whether they become Christians or not because that's the heart of God. Yeah. That's expressing his love. And, you know, you, when, when you did this to one of the least of my brethren, said Jesus, you did it for me. Yeah. It's worship. It's worship. When you feed the hungry, you do it for Jesus. You find Jesus uh, in in those places. You find Jesus when you try and help folk that have been um, trafficked and and stand for them to be freed from those things. Um, that's part of worship. But of course, true worship always spills out into evangelism. And I think in the church for years, we were only known for what we were against because we were great at signing petitions. And there was there's a place for that. Yeah. We were great at being against this, that and the other and being the last people to, to embrace any change. And I think over the last years, we started to be known for what we're for, that we're for love and compassion and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and justice. Yeah. You know, and all those things, and it's 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 both. It's yeah, all of it. Absolutely. Um, and another area I think Soul Survivor has been significant for the wider church is uh, this kind of focus um, on the spirit. Not an unhealthy focus, just you know, having having the spirit as part of church and part of worship and um, part of all of these things. You haven't shied away, I guess, from the supernatural um, or. So, some churches might worry the su- the supernatural stuff will put people off. You know, some churches perhaps being more, uh, I guess the phrase would be seeker friendly and a, a little bit reluctant to have things like tongues in in a main meeting. But you haven't shied away from that. Why is that? Because it doesn't put people off. It it just doesn't, and it's biblical. And we want to be a biblical people. And uh, where it has put people off is where it's been manufactured, manipulated, hyped where it hasn't had integrity. And and I think in the church we've had two extremes. Mm. We've seen some aspects of the charismatic and Pentecostal church where the meetings have gone on forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I had one, one leader, a senior leader of, of a whole network of churches that are great seeker-sensitive churches. He said, he said to me, I grew up in the Pentecostal church. My dad was a Pentecostal pastor. The meetings went on for hours. We prophesied to each other. We worshipped for hours. We prayed for each other. We fell down. And one morning I woke up and I thought, no one's ever become a Christian at any of our meetings. And then I thought, no non-Christian has stayed long enough in order to find out the gospel. And then he said, so I decided to start a church for those who weren't Christians. And they've done phenomenally well. The church movement is Hillsong. 
They've done phenomenally well. Yeah. But what I want to say, and we've got so much to learn from them, is there's another way. Mm. It, it's not either um, have a complete mess or put God in a box and everything's time to the second. There's another way, mm. which is what we call naturally supernatural, which is we don't want to be weird, mm. but God's allowed to be as weird as he wants. Yeah. And so we explain as much as possible. We don't go on forever. We, 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 you know, we, we, we respect time. We pastor. You know, there's, in a local church setting, we, we need to have the prophets and the pastors working together. If it's just the prophets, a few people take off at the beginning of the service, go to the third heaven, wander around for a few hours, come into land, and then wonder where everyone else went. <laughs> if it's just pastors yeah. and not prophets, everyone's safe, everyone's secure, but no one ever goes anywhere. Mm. A phrase I love is, um, I, what, what we try and say is, um, I'd, I'd rather the mess of the nursery than the neatness and tidiness of the graveyard. Because in the nursery, it's messy because there's new life. In the graveyard, it's neat and tidy because everything's in order because it's fairly dead. And I think we need to accept certain amount of mess because there's life, it comes with life. But what we do is we put order to it because Paul says that. You know, his, what he said to the Corinthians is some of you are going on and on and on in tongues. So he didn't tell them, stop speaking in tongues. He said, stop doing that and do it in, a, in, a, in, a, in an orderly way that doesn't put off those who come into your meetings. And, I, and this summer, we saw over one and a half thousand kids give their lives to Jesus in the context of God's spirit moving in great power. And if you're not a Christian, you know, what, what they would say is, well, if I'm going to believe in a God, I may as well believe in a God who's powerful and affects people's lives. Yeah. It's often those of us that are Christians that have been brought up in a very religious way that we react. Mm. Yeah, sure. And you mentioned um, the dangers of, of hyping things up. And, you know, I've, I've been in Soul Survivor meetings and I've seen the way you've, you've done it. And it's true. Like you've one of, one of the phrases you use often is we don't hype the Holy Spirit up, he comes down. Yeah. Um, do you want to unpack that a bit? Because I think a lot of Christians will have been in scenarios where they have felt like there's a lot of hype. And that's something I know you very consciously resisted. Yeah. And we try and break the religious atmosphere that sometimes by using humor, mm. you know, and, and also, also I'm trying to think what would some folk be thinking right now? Mm. So I'm trying to answer that. And sometimes, you know, one of the questions is, is this all God? Yeah. And so I say, some of you may be wondering, is this all God? No, no, it's our response to God. Mm. Human beings are involved. How could it all be God? Yes. And just by acknowledging that, yeah. it takes all the pressure away. Yeah. And and is all of this 100% kosher? No, there's probably one or two of us trying to help him out. Yeah. But you know what? If you know, if someone wants to fall down, it's a free country. <laughs> After a while, you know, we're not going to be the thought police. You down there, that was the Lord. That's very good. You, you just made that up. Get up. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, but... If after a while, if we keep saying mm. no one has to do anything that anyone else is doing, yeah. let's have integrity, let's be ourselves, we all respond differently, yeah. then everyone starts to relax. So one of the questions certainly young people will ask is, everyone else is going crazy. I'm the only one. 
I'm left out. What's wrong with me? And I say, if you're not feeling anything, I'm not feeling anything. And I'll turn to Ali, who is one of my co-hosts. I said, Ali, are you feeling anything? And she says, no. Then I look at Andy and I said, Andy, are you feeling anything? He says, no. And I said, Andy never feels anything. We're still the majority. Relax. It's not about those things. And I think we need in the church to keep the main and the plain, the main and the plain. It's about Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. We want to point to Jesus. It's about him. And when he moves, sometimes it'll look very powerful. Sure. And especially when pain comes up, mm. we, 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 we live in a broken generation. Mm. And guess what? When they come, all sorts of things mm. will come up. And sometimes that'll be emotional. Mm. We're not into emotionalism, but we're not going to be afraid of emotion. Mm. And that's why, if I may say, we wrote the book, Andy and I, mm. Everyday Supernatural, in order to try and build faith and an understanding of how these things can happen mm. in a way that we don't throw our brains out. Yeah. And that's why, if I may also say, a little plug, we're, we're, we're starting next summer a new conference for the whole church and the whole family called Naturally Supernatural. And that's from the 22nd to the 27th of July next year. And again, we want to equip the church to do this stuff in a way that's natural, in a way that's normal, in a way that isn't weird. Just just going back very briefly, because uh, we were talking about hype and how you know that's, that can be dangerous. How do you respond, though, to the criticisms of Soul Survivor, particularly with the worship? That, you know, there are a lot of lights, there is a lot of loud music. Um, is it all just getting kids to jump up and down and is there hype there? I mean, I don't think I don't think many would accuse you of hype during the ministry times with the Holy Spirit, but I know there can be some criticism, particularly of the worship and the and the yeah. lights and the atmosphere and everything else. Yeah, and that's a very valid, very, very valid and welcome question. And I'll be very honest with you, uh, it's something I think about a lot. And I went until a few years ago. I, I refuse to have any smoke machines or any of that, yeah. uh, any flashing lights or anything like that. And in fact, one year they persuaded me to have smoke machines and I so hated them that I went around switching them off. <laughs> and it was like, what are we doing? Because I just so don't want that. Yeah, sure. But then as I, I looked at it and as I studied creativity throughout the centuries, in the church we've gone into these two extremes. Um, the church years ago, hundreds of years ago, built these amazing cathedrals to worship God. Beautiful stained glass window, incense, Gregorian chants, uh, the robes, everything. And then it became all about those things. And Jesus got hidden that we swung to, pur to a Puritanism that was whitewashed walls, benches and the wee freeze in Scotland that won't even sing songs so that it's all about Jesus. Right. And I think what we see in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, the worship of heaven, is a light and sound show. It was flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, um, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, uh, the seven lamps blazing, but at the center of the throne was the lion of the tribe of Judah who peered as a lamb who was slain. And our job is to make sure Jesus is at the center. Mm. And I've realized smoke machines are just a modern version of incense. Right. 
the, the, the light show is our version of stained glass windows. Yeah. It's attempting to use our creativity. Yeah. Now, yes, the challenge for our worship leaders is guys, and, I, and this year we had to keep, we honestly, I talked with our worship leaders every time, hey, let's make sure we go into intimacy in worship. Let's make sure we sing enough truth. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we keep singing dance, dance. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we touch heaven. Mm-hmm. But there is also a place for celebration. And the truth is, you get 8,000 young people in a big tent for five days. There's hype there, whatever you do. Our job is to try and have integrity and always, always, always point them to Jesus and not obscure him. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we could have done better. I I haven't mentioned momentum yet because... um, Momentum, of course, is, I guess, in many ways, sole survivor for 20s and 30s. Um, it was a very similar event. It's a great event, being there myself. And um, But in launching this new conference uh, next year, which focuses on the supernatural, you've uh, decided to close Momentum. Was that a difficult decision? Very difficult, and very difficult because we want to serve those in their 20s and early 30s. Um, but we really, we, I, oh, we could be wrong, but we sense God calling us to, to telling us to do naturally supernatural and there simply aren't enough weeks mm. in the summer <laughs> i mean and and literally we do 25 days you don't do any more than 25 do, days no surely. no no 25 <laughs> days at my age i'm 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 gaga by the end and but what we're saying is naturally supernatural is for those in their 20s and 30s right. so we'll have yeah. momentum campsites yeah uh, we're going to have social events that are just for the Momentum Age Group, yeah. but also for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And what I was saying earlier on, I think is valid, is that now for the Momentum Age Group, they don't mind so much yeah. being with 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 other folk, mm-hmm. you know, with the wider church. And this is to equip everyone. And it doesn't mean we're going to stop doing things for that age group. It just means we won't, for a little while, do that camp in the summer. We're, we're looking at other things. Yeah. And that is for that age group. Mm. It's naturally supernatural. It's for the momentum age group. It's just for the whole of the rest of the church as well. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, now, we've been thinking recently as, um, as a magazine, obviously we try and keep tabs on sort of wider trends in church culture as well as culture in general. And it seems to us that back in the, I guess, the 70s, the 80s, there was a lot of talk of revival um, and perhaps less so now. Um, I was reading, actually, you you said before that one of your dreams is to see revival in this country. Um, Do you think that um, the church in general is in danger of sort of losing that that passion? Has Has the emphasis on revival, has that sort of just drifted away ever so slightly? Well, it's drifted away ever so slightly because when since when we talked about it non-stop, mm. the church has actually shrunk. Wow. <laughs> and we've got to be honest about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm passionate about seeing a move of God mm. in, on, on the streets. And I believe, I believe, I, I pray that before I go to heaven, I'll see the first fruits of that at mm. least. But when we talked about it at length, mm. Um, those years in those years in the 70s and that we we kind of imagined that revival was one day God was going to spray this revival spray into the atmosphere yeah. and it was come going to come down all these non-christians would breathe it in and suddenly everyone would want to become Christians and and actually biblical revive biblically revival comes when we go mm. the great commission is to go yeah. and a friend of mine once said 
what, what part of the word go do we have a problem with? You know, and I think revival will come when we go preaching the gospel as a community, loving each other, mm. healing the sick, having prophetic words that, that open people's hearts and convict people's hearts, feeding the hungry, mm. standing against injustice. When we, the church, do all that in humility, I, I, think, I think the gospel's irresistible. Mm. And I, I pray to see that day. Yeah. And I guess that does, again, bring us back to what you're trying to do through the Naturally Supernatural uh, conference is, is to, you know, to, to get Christians out there and going rather than expecting, as you say, this revival spray to descend for us to be a part of, of that movement that we pray God would do. Is the ultimate problem, though, just that we're a bit scared? Yeah, uh, we, we, we're scared. Um, we're also in danger, not the whole church, but parts of the church. And and I see it, the, the consumer culture thing, mm. invading the church. Right. It's about me. It's about having my needs met. Every summer, again, I'm being honest with you, we, we see kids who are broken and getting, getting healed. But we want to say to them, hey, don't wait till you're healed before you go. You get healed on the way. If I'd have waited till I was sorted before I, I would still be waiting. Yeah. You know, you get healed on the way. And also, you know, again, your question about worship. You know, I, I, we get some kids that say to us, I encountered Jesus like I've never encountered him before. It was amazing. I just want to serve him. I just want to give my life to him. And then others that, that say their testimony is, oh, it was a great five days. Oh, it was the best five days of my summer holiday. I can't wait till next year. And a little bit, you, your heart breaks because it's like, oh, no, it's not about the experience of the event. Mm. What we long that we failed if they don't leave our events talking about Jesus, if they're talking more about Soul Survivor or us or worship than about Jesus, who is the end of our worship, who is the, the, the focus of our worship, we failed. We failed. And, and that's something in the church we have to grasp. It's a discipleship issue. Sure. It's about fear, but it's more than that. It's right. about being disciples of Jesus. Yeah. And how do we disciple a generation in a consumer culture, if you've got the answer to that, <laughs> tell me quick. We're <laughs> if, trying to wrestle with that together. Sure. So how else can we be uh, praying for you in, in the future? You've just finished these 25 days of events. I'm sure you know, you're know you going to have a very well-earned uh, rest and a bit of a break. Um, but yeah, how can people be praying for you and the ministry? Uh, that we hear the Lord, that we keep listening to him, that we're obedient in the good times and in the bad times that you know in the end it's not about i think success is about being obedient to the end mm. and I, I that's all we want to do and it may be that a, a time comes when god says that's that's it with that i'm going to use you know uh, lay it down and that'll be fine that'll be fine mm. um i i think that we listen and that we obey if you love me, said Jesus, you'll obey my commands. Mm -hmm. You're my friends if you do what I command you, mm -hmm. he said in John 15. That's, that's my longing, sure. and that's what I want to do with the, the years I have left. And I know that's the longing of my friends and colleagues. That's great. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on The Profile. Absolute privilege and pleasure. Thank you. The Profile.
You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.